Hi, this is Beth Capici and welcome to the Never Perfect Podcast. I'm a psychologist and I believe that embracing the fact that no aspect of life is perfect actually makes us happier and healthier and motivates us to achieve more. It also helps us become more real and compassionate with ourselves and others. In my counseling office, I deal with a little bit of everything. So in this podcast, you'll also probably be hearing a little bit of everything. Not only professional advice, but also some of my favorite and least favorite personal stories. I'm also going to be interviewing people who are brave enough to share their stories with us. I believe that everyone has a lot to teach and a lot to learn no matter what their background is and in spite of their imperfections. You don't have to be perfect to be inspiring. perfect podcast. Today we are going to be talking about motherhood and I have two old friends here with me and I'm sort of giddy about it (laughs) because I've known these people forever and we are all in our very late late 40s and (laughs) give or take and so I have Jeannie who I've known since I was four years old and Jennifer since I've maybe been 16 and just two very dear friends who are a breath of fresh air and I thought they would be wonderful to come sit and talk and share about the topic of motherhood and I've been talking to them about my podcast and why I've called it Never Perfect and just sharing some of the nuggets of wisdom that we all love and appreciate and also some of the moments of errors and mistakes and fails, mother fails. Um, And I like to joke that one of my greatest gifts is lowering the bar for other people. But of course, I also want to inspire people to be their best self and to make the most of their strengths and just to really recognize their strengths and weaknesses. So these two ladies are perfect for this because they are very genuine, they're very wise, they're very realistic, and I feel like they like to lower the bar for other people in an inspiring way. They have many, many strengths. And another similarity that we share is all three of us have sort of, whereas some people stay at home full-time with kids, some people work full-time, we've all been sort of a hybrid of this in varying ways, and we've all had different career paths that have varied a little bit, and I'd love to go into that, but I, I won't. But currently, Jeannie is a geriatric care manager, and she works with elderly people, and won't explain all that, but Jennifer is a nurse practitioner and she is teaching at a local private school. She's teaching anatomy and physiology. So very professional ladies who sacrificed 
some of their professional potential at times to stay at home and do other things and but really value their careers as well as being a parent but would certainly never claim to be perfect (laughs) so that being said let's get started I have written down some parenting tips that are maybe 10 of my favorites off the top of my head and we thought maybe we could talk about some of our strengths and weaknesses and philosophies of parenting and definitely gonna laugh and make fun of ourselves a little bit today off and on (laughs) which is very healthy so um, I think I'll just read over some of these and get Jennifer and Jeannie to share some stories as we go and hopefully we can encourage some people or entertain some people and teach a few parenting strategies or principles that are really helpful in rearing children. So I'm not going to read down all of them at once. It's about 10. I wrote my top 10 and there are probably 12 on here. So I just like to keep never perfect as much as possible. (laughs) Never exact. So the first one here, emotional safety and validation. You can Google emotional safety, but essentially it is providing an atmosphere where your kids feel understood and accepted as they are. Mm -hmm. And I love to use the word seen in quotes. Feeling seen is one of the most important things that any of us can ever experience. And I think that can involve seeing ourselves as well, seeing who we are as parents and how we really shine and how we don't shine and making the most of our strengths and apologizing and acknowledging our weaknesses and limitations. And this is wonderful modeling for our kids and their self-esteem. Like, I see who I am and I like my package deal. Some of it's hard. You all know I'm calling myself the ADHD psychologist because I decided about 10 years that It was time to officially diagnose myself. (laughs) And um, that's both a strength and a weakness. So uh, validating your kids' feelings does not mean that you're agreeing with them. It just means that you hear them, you can see legitimacy or valid points in what they're saying and pointing out some positives in that. But then also, sometimes you do have to make critical or constructive feedback type comments that that help them, but really just acknowledging their reality and their point of view. So it was so funny, Beth. I was thinking about that the other day. I've been working on the validating for my um, daughter and I've really been doing a great job at it. She'll say something and I'll do reflective listening and really get there. And then I realized I'm just leaving her there at the bottom like with all the negativity and one of your parenting tips was validate but then have some balance and um a friend of mine the other day her son had a horrible day and she was listening but then she's like let's do something to redeem the day and it was sort of a cheesy way of saying it but they like went out and did something fun and to turn it around and Mm -hmm. i thought 
oh, you can work on parenting and go, all right, I'm good. I got this down. I'm validating. She feels absolutely heard. But then I left it at all the negative. I'm like, I got to learn some of this balance that you were talking about of, oh, maybe you can validate and go, life is crappy, but we can do better. That's a great point. Like sometimes just saying, I see you, I hear you and reflecting back. Life is really hard and life is really miserable right now. And then just stopping. At least they feel heard, but sometimes maybe they can still feel like you said, just kind of like, well, this is depressing. (laughs) I'm glad my mother understands me, but where do we go from here? Do we just kind of wallow in this? So then maybe to say, well, let's, let's do something fun now. Let's reward ourselves or get a change of scenery or something. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Um, there was another thought there that left my mind, but, um, well, and this is the next one I wrote down kind of ties into this. There's a lot of literature out there about the most positive parenting style is what they call authoritative, which is just a complicated way to say it's a really good balance between being really warm and nurturant and then being very authoritarian and rules oriented and strict, you know, punishment discipline. So some parents are just kind of on the end of rules and don't do that and don't do this. And we're here like a probation officer only. And other parents are more like the Santa Claus, like, or the friend only that's like, whatever you want to do, honey. And that's too permissive. So finding that balance, and that's what the research shows, is the balance between the two results in the healthiest kids. Hmm. Have y'all heard of that, or where would you put yourselves on that continuum? think about it a lot because I think I'm such a controlling person I would fall into authoritative so quickly uh-huh. that I control the fact that I don't want to be authoritative so I, I go to permissive all the time because I think I want to fight against my n- nature to be authoritative but I do think like kids some kids do well with boundaries so I think I go so permissive sometimes that I forget that oh, they might actually thrive for the boundaries instead Mm. of feeling guilty for going, I'm always telling them what to do. There's no place for them to make their own decision. And I mean, I'm sure I would be a happier person if I just told my kids what to do and they always did it. Mm. (laughs) That's a really great point. And I bet y'all have heard this. There was a study that just brought to mind a client years ago that made a comment that relates to that. And then this study that was fascinating. And I bet you've heard it. So it said that If you put a bunch of kids on a playground with no fence, they stay kind of close together, right, Mm. on the toys, and they don't spread out and use the grass and all that. But if you put a a fence around the perimeter, they use the full area. Mm. And so the freedom that they get from feeling protected and having boundaries, it's ironic, but you actually feel more freedom and can move around more and experience more if there are some boundaries and perimeters. But maybe the safety in that situation is the relationship because what keeps them in. Yeah. It, right? Without, yeah. In that situation, would you say? Yeah. The relationship with their, the connection with the other people keeps them close together? 
Well, I, you know, I, I, it's been years since I've read the study. I think that the reassurance, like you don't want parents that are overly authoritarian and smothering and controlling and giving you no freedom and never listening to your point of view or being democratic at all. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if your parents don't control you at all or don't give any rules or any boundaries or structure, you feel it's a little scary. Yeah. And the client that I had years ago, she was smoking a lot of marijuana in her house. And she said, I know that my parents must smell this, but they don't do anything about it. And then she said, I go to a school where they threatened to do regular drug testing and they've never tested me. And she said, it's really kind of disconcerting Mm. how much freedom that I have. Mm. And it was so interesting to me because it was really bothering her. Yeah. And um, so I think that really spoke to that desire, again, that balance of feeling like your parents do have some control and they should and rules. But if if it's overly smothering, it definitely stifles a lot and causes a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. So but no freedom. I mean, no rules can feel like no love. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a great point. No rules can feel like no love. I don't think we con- yeah. we consciously, even as adults, process it that way. But I think subconsciously that that registers. Mm. That reminded me of another thing. I had a student years ago who she was a boarding student, and her father came to visit her one weekend, and she was probably fifteen or sixteen. He and she smoked. He brought her a carton of cigarettes, and she was devastated. <sighs> It was so interesting because if a friend had brought her the cigarette, she would have been like, yes, Mm -hmm. I don't know how much they cost, but like $40 of, you know, free cigarettes. But her father, she was like her father saying, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. She was devastated. And so I do think that some parents really struggle with the tough love aspect and Mm -hmm. it is such a hard balance. Maybe we can speak about that, but you know, when you're trying to have a friendship with your kids, but be an authority at the same time, it is so hard to find the happy medium. Mm-hmm. I mean, it connects with what you said at first in a way, because I think the, the having the parameters in a way, it's a version of feeling seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're talking about such deep things kind of quickly. I'm sort of process still processing (laughs) but I think that I have I struggled a little bit growing up um with you may have to delete this um (laughs) with with wanting to be seen maybe more than maybe I was Mm -hmm. like with a um father who was so busy outside the home Mm -hmm. and kind of went to where he felt adequate, but relationships were a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. And so feeling a little bit unseen or maybe like I had to do things to be seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to connect that too with kids that you can have parents that mean very well, but maybe don't know how to connect Mm. and so maybe retreat to where 
we feel adequate with that, which I think is our temptation as adults to retreat. I know how to do my job, so I'm mm-hmm. just going to do that. And this kid, I don't really know what to do with, yeah. so I'm just not going to do that right now. Yes. And so you, there can be that, but then there can also, there can be, I'm going to retreat to my job, but then there can also sort of be a, a retreating in terms of permissiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, yeah. sh- I'm, I'm thinking they're connected and somehow I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, don't know if I'm putting it all together yeah. in my head. No, but I can right. see what you mean. Like, I don't exactly know how to do this, but maybe if I'm just fun and they just like me mm-hmm. and I just buy them, and I buy them they cigarettes, want, yeah, yeah. then maybe yes. our relationship will be good. And so that's me moving towards them, even though I don't really know. Yes. There's something about this way of moving towards them that doesn't seem right. Right. That's a great point, though. And I love that because it's trying to look past the mistakes to understand the vulnerability of maybe we don't even know this father. I never met this father, but maybe he just so desperately wanted a bond with his daughter and was puzzled. I mean, who who gets great parent training? You have to go after that. You either have to see great role models or you have to go pursue that with books or therapy or parent training conferences. You know, we don't get that in school. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can do everything quote unquote right and that kid doesn't respond. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, you don't know what you've says, done wrong. Oh my gosh, after you say every sentence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great time to say that you have three teenagers, yeah. one in college, and Jeannie, you have two teenagers, one in college, and I have two teenagers and then an 11 year old who definitely acts like. A teenager. As you said a few minutes ago, 11's the new 13. <laughs> she definitely acts like 13. So, yeah, a lot of... And adolescence is an interesting time because they're going from childhood into adulthood and their thinking and their brain is changing and they start being a little more challenging and disrespectful. And, and they're walking that balance. Like, I feel like my girls go back and forth between... Um, I've got this to, I need to talk for a couple hours. Mm -hmm. And then there's that just swing in between there, you know, everywhere in between. And, and I think as parents too, it's a hard stage because you're, I I often reflect on how, um, much I enjoyed the, the littles stage Uh and just having a child feel comforted in your presence is quite a blessing and a gift Mm -hmm. that is just a delight to experience Mm -hmm. that this child feels safe in my presence and feels comforted. And then when they get to be teenagers and they don't, you get mixed messages. Yeah. And they're trying and it's right because they're trying to become their own person and independent. And so you need to test that and also have a safe place to run back to when things don't go well but so it's good Mm -hmm. but it's it's hard emotionally to parent during that stage a little bit yeah it was physically more physically hard at the when they were little but a little bit more emotionally true like a lot more ambiguous like what is my role like when Mm -hmm. they're little you know kind of what your role is it's more clear cut but Mm -hmm. they have so many mixed feelings as they grow up like one day they need you one day they're like back off i'm fine who do you think you are it's none of your business (laughs) you're gonna think this is hilarious but it's so you were saying moving from having them in your lap and making them feel loved and 
like we're not a touchy-feely family, but hug and touch is so important. And I work with older adults and they never get touched. And so mm. I was telling that to my son his senior year. I was like, you know, like I never give you hugs anymore and I know you don't want them, but you know you're supposed to get hugged like eight times a day. Well, I'm just wondering if I could just give you a few more hugs. Like, I know you don't want them, but I think it's good for you. And <laughs> there comes the edgy genie side. I knew it would come out at some point. She's being real. Yeah. <laughs> just stand there. Yeah. Stand there. Just give me a hug. It's good for you. It's one out of eight. <laughs> yeah, come on now. Oh, I love it. You probably like, yeah, you won't believe what my mother said to me yesterday, but it did make a big impression. I bet he loved it. <laughs> He's like, my mom's pretty cool. She's not one of those really old fashioned people. She's weird about those hugs. She's counting them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's good. But yeah, you know, this actually underlies kind of everything on this list, really. And I'm not even 100% sure if it's on here, but I'm so glad that this conversation is triggering me to say tough love is doing what is in your kid's best interest. And I really think that that's a paradigm that I remind parents and teenagers all the time pretty much your first job, it's one of your top two for sure, is what is healthiest and best for you. And then for parents, what is healthiest and best for your kids? Mm -hmm. And I tell kids that sometimes and I can see a light bulb go off. Like I can sort of see them. That is their job to say, no, you cannot eat ice cream three times a day. No, you can't have three Cokes or whatever. And they're not trying to be mean. They're being loving. So that language, and that is one of the things that has helped me the most because I'm a people pleaser and tough love, which can mean being assertive and telling people hard truths, but because you love them and it's like, what is in their best interest long-term, not just that day, not what they want, but what they need. And that figures into our talk about parenting adolescents because it it doesn't always feel good Mm -hmm. to, you don't always get the Thanks, Mom. <laughs> right. Thanks for showing me tough love. <laughs> yeah. Like sometimes you feel emotionally abused. Like one type of emotional abuse is called unpredictable responses. Mm. Well, teenagers kind of do that to us for like five years. It's like, this is emotionally abusive. I'm going to leave. But I can't. Um, but yeah, it is true. Like what is healthy and best and knowing that that's normal and healthy, like you're, we're trying to equip them to fly the coop. Mm-hmm. And they, it, it's healthy for them to start disengaging a little bit from their parents and connecting more with their friends. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. And for people that haven't read about that or don't know that, they might punish their kids for not telling them more or telling their friends more. But that is healthy developmentally. So do you all think that we have kind of an epidemic of, or maybe, maybe you don't, um, it's being so tempting for us as parents to just the goal us to think the goal is that our children are happy Mm. we just want our kids to be happy Mm. i mean you hear that a lot in you know tv shows and movies and when parents are talking to their kids just i just want you to be happy Mm -hmm. which i mean that can be a pretty Mm -hmm. (laughs) parenting trap yeah for sure I like to use the word healthy I mean Mm -hmm. I certainly hate to see any kids unhappy for sure but 
yeah, yeah that's the goal of parenting yeah. I think we we go off track sometimes yeah well that's a high bar if the kids are like my mom's whole job is to make sure I'm happy and if I'm not happy my mom's going to feel like she's failing that's a big responsibility on their shoulders that oh. they feel like they're mm-hmm. not meeting up to their half of the expectation so mm-hmm. it's kind of both I mean it's mm-hmm. not great it, maybe not great parenting I don't know if it's good or bad but but it puts pressure on the kid mm-hmm. yeah that that's a really really good question and again I think going back to what's in people's best interest is like what's good for them what's growth producing what's healthy is different because happy a lot of times is very nearsighted and short-lived and long-term like what is truly best for you long-term with growth and wisdom and development and you know one of the things I have on my list here is that I think that a lot of kids need to be told that about 80% of your life you're going to have to spend doing things you may not enjoy doing that are more like work their obligations homework, housework, jobs, and 20%, you could relax, hopefully. I mean, some people work too hard and don't relax enough, but I think a lot of this generation, they just want to be entertaining themselves all day with video games or YouTube videos or TikTok or, you know, and they just think, I don't want to do that. That's not fun. You know, so. Right. That's what I mean. Mm. Yeah. That's not, that's not serving them well because life skills you know, when you think about teaching your kids healthy things that prepare them for their future and prepare them for life, it's loving. Like sometimes I think parents think asking your kids to help with chores, it's kind of like for us, you know, it's for the parents. And yeah, I mean, to some degree it is, but truly it's loving because then they go to college and they know how to cook a few things and they know how to do their own laundry. So, um, all right, you're going to have to tell the laundry story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, this is good. We all have a few, uh, funny, um, ways that maybe you could say that we either have mom fails or that we protect ourselves and set boundaries (laughs) to say, you know what, this is a life skill. That's good. Do you want to tell your story? Well, we, Beth and I were joking about this the other day, but I, uh, I just felt so covered up by laundry and mm-hmm. I would do loads and then they wouldn't get folded for days and they would be covering the couch all, you know, like all over the place and the couch would be overflowing. And I could like basically lay across the laundry pile and watch a movie because there's just laundry everywhere. And I, so we were in a position of building a new house and I was like, you know, I'm going to get myself out of the laundry business and so I we have this is obsessive but we have three washer and dryers and one of them is positioned right in the middle of the three girls rooms and I just said done (laughs) you're on your own now so now if they have and I could have done this if we had one I mean yeah Uh could have done this earlier should have done this earlier but now if they are missing clothes or their clothes are dirty they don't even ask me anymore. It's all... It's a natural it's their It's their job and mm-hmm. it's their thing. And you know what? When they go to college, they're going to know how to do their laundry. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that makes me so happy. That's a breath of fresh air to hear stuff like that. I mean, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, you can lose your mental health over things like dishes or laundry or carpooling. And like sometimes you really have to just, you know, find ways to say, I got to lighten the load, whether it's with house cleaning or let your kids see the natural consequences of guess what? If you don't wash stuff, you don't have clean clothes. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. You don't even have to punish them. No, it's just, yeah. Your clothes are dirty. Well, yeah. Too bad. You guess you're going to have to wear some yeah. dirty clothes to school today. Yeah. Just cause and effect. Like, <laughs> there you go. I love that. Jeannie, do you want to share yours about uh, <laughs> one of the cooking stories? I'm trying to think of which parenting tip to relate it to, but um, part of it's self-care parenting. So yeah. you take care of yourself and you take care of them. And then um, part of it might be a life skill, but um, I, I realized early on in my parenting that I, you know, so many women drink wine at dinner and they're like, it's five o'clock, it's time for wine. Like it's this mom joke, right? Time mm-hmm. five o'clock. And I realized I drink wine because I hate to cook. And it puts me in a really bad mood. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done. This is torture. What can we numb the pain a little bit? Just need a few more glasses to get through this. So instead of instead of of drinking more, which would have been nice actually, but I decided to just make dinner super simple. It always put me in a A, I hated cooking, and then B, nobody was around and ready to eat. When it was hot and I just mm-hmm. resented oh, that. Yeah. I'm like, why have I just done all this work that I hate to do? And no one appreciates and you're not it. even hungry. Yeah. So I stopped. I stopped having dinner time and I would put stuff in the crock pot and Beth and I laugh. I had chicken every single day, <laughs> every day in the crock pot and it was hot. And then I'd like have some kind of side, either broccoli that was steamed or I don't know, a potato or something. Oh. It was so boring every single day. And I'm like, whenever you're hungry, it's hot, it's good. And we're not one of those families that sings Kumbaya around the dining room table because uh-huh. I'm in a bad mood at that time of day if I have anything to do with preparing your food. So <laughs> yeah. we just I love it. don't do it. See, and that's a way that we can give ourselves permission to say, like, what aspect of motherhood or chores is is you know, ruining my sanity the most, Mm. or you reach the end of your rope in a certain area like cooking or laundry and you just say, I'm not doing anymore. But yeah, I love that story because I think I was like, Jeannie, I'm feeling a little bored with my dinner options. Do you have any like recipes you'd like to share? And she goes, I just put chicken in the crock pot every night. It's just, I said, so just chicken, like basic chicken every night. And she said, yeah. She said, I'll just get a different vegetable out to go with it. And that's it. And I'm like, so refreshing. Like, again, you can lower the bar in different areas. Like, you know, people can say, oh, I'm terrible at this. I shine at this. And I think that's important. Like, I am really good at this aspect of parenting and I'm not good at this aspect. And that just kind of relates to the theme of being never perfect and saying, I have a package deal of strengths and weaknesses and modeling that for your kids. Like my kids, you know, they hear me talking about my ADD. They hear me talking about things I mess up. They hear me laughing at myself. And then they also hear me trying to inspire them and try to make them better. And it's just a balance of like, you know, in what ways are you like role modeling? Like, wow, this is one of my parents' passions and they're super good at this. And this is one of their weak points or one, not a high priority for them. You just cannot do it all. There's not enough time in the day. 
I'm often apologizing to my kids, you know, mm-hmm. um, even, you know, hey, wow, that was an abrupt comment or, you know, let me tell you what was going on in my heart when I said that I just need to apologize for that or, mm-hmm. um, and they've started doing it with me since they've gotten older, which is really nice for both of us to be able to have that conversation. Hannah came home from school. Uh One of my daughters came home from school the other day and said, hey, are you okay? Can we talk about that conversation we had the night before? I was like, ah, good, this is good. We're like, you know, and I needed to apologize and she needed to apologize and we did, but for her to even get around to being the one that thinks of it first to instigate it and get That's things amazing. right was good. So anyway, yeah, you've made apologizing. That <laughs> yeah, That's oh, a good thing. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I don't know if this is on my list, but apologizing is one of the best gifts you can ever give your kids mm-hmm. because there's so much there if you really think about it saying, "Listen, it's it takes humility and it, and you're modeling like, I mess up. We're all trying to figure this out. We all have bad days." whether we're hungry or we have an anger problem or we're stressed out, but just to acknowledge that and and kind of acknowledge their reality as opposed to what we call gaslighting, where you, you make your child doubt their experiences or their memory. Like if they were thinking, you know, mom, you were so mean to me last night. And you say, no, I wasn't. I wasn't mean at all. I wasn't angry. And then it makes them doubt their experience because you're not even validating their sense of reality. Hmm. And, you know, that obviously comes from someplace too. I mean, but when you can own it and say, I'm so sorry, I was having a bad day. And and that is such a gift because they can sort of get peace and closure with that issue. And it like shuts that door and closes up that wound instead of aggravating it and making them think, we're not on the same page and she doesn't believe me. And she's saying that I don't perceive things right. So maybe I can't trust my feelings and my perceptions. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do so much unintentional damage when we do stuff like that, you know, but it it takes a big person to apologize. I mean, that's, that's very vulnerable and hard for a lot of people. So, um, I know we don't have time to go through all of these, but We've covered a lot, um, but really just the way you approach life, I think that our kids are going to learn from our approach. Like if we're comfortable saying, hey, I have a weak area here and I'm strength strong in this area, you know, it's like a lesson for them to say, oh, so that's okay to walk around telling people I'm not good at this and I am good at that. Yeah. And then they feel like they don't have to walk around pretending they're perfect. It makes me so sad how many people walk around feeling like they have to appear perfect. Yeah, I think the school system doesn't help that. I mean, this is random, but I do think the kids have seven subjects, right, or four, depending on what school system you're in. And they think, I'm supposed to get A's in every subject. Mm -hmm. That's so unrealistic. Mm -hmm. I don't get A's in every subject in my life. Mm -hmm. And so... Like, yeah, reminding them that it's okay to get not A's in some subjects and A's in other, you know, like exactly <laughs> depends on the parent, right? Like C's or D's or whatever, but, right. but just, there's no way you can be good at all of it. And I think yeah. if they see us not being good, then it pulls them away from that everyday reality, right? Seven hours a day, they're being 
be good in every hour of your day. And that's mm-hmm. just, I'm not good in every hour of my day. Oh, yeah. Chance. <laughs> we've got a cat that, this is kind of sad, but it's funny. But we've got a cat who, she has a tail pull injury, which means like something, <laughs> that sounds fun. Something jumped on her in the woods and it like broke her tail. And so she can't control, she's totally fine and happy. Don't be too sad. But she can't control when she poops or pees. And so I have to empty her bladder four times a day. I've been doing it for two years. But oh my goodness. She is like a gargantuan uh, rodent because she (laughs) goes wherever. She put, it just comes out. That would push so, me over the edge right there. It's a good thing you're a, a medical professional. I couldn't handle that. Oh, no, but anyway, it's just an example of how imperfect our house is because, I mean, I don't aspire to be a hoarder or to have a messy house, but I cannot perfectly, you know. That's not your forte. It's just, and I have one kid who's like so grossed out by it. She's like, I stepped in the poop. <laughs> Oh gosh, let's clean that up. We cleaned up every day. I don't want you to think that we just leave piles of poop all around our house. <laughs> but it's just like you just can't control every single thing. Great point. Life throws you curveballs. Like, it was a curveball. Yeah, the tail pull curveball. <laughs> yeah, we. She's happy, so we can't like we don't want to like get rid of her, but. It's a problem, but it's wow. okay. One day at a time. Yeah. Oh man. And not everybody could handle that. Um, that's actually you're mentioning the house cleaning and everything is perfect timing for me to bring up one of my humorous stories. Over the years, um, when we could for a long time we had no help with house cleaning and then, you know, maybe 10 years ago we started getting someone to clean our house once a month, and that is notoriously a hard thing for uh someone with ADD is house cleaning. Mm -hmm. And they say that raising kids is also overwhelming. And I could say something about dinner time too, that could be relevant. But so our house would be, um, you know, dirty most of the time until the house cleaner came and then it would be this wonderful day and then it would all like <laughs> go to pot. And so yes. you and don't you take everyone out for dinner that night because you're like, don't mess up yeah. anything. Yeah. Let's stay out of the house as long as possible. Stay like this for like three hours. That's right. Let's milk it for every minute. So we would have people over for dinner or something and we would furiously clean and then they would come over and they would say, oh, it's so nice to see that your house is messy like ours. <laughs> I'd be like, we just cleaned for four hours. I was really proud of this. I'm glad that you think this is messy like your house. But And then eventually when my schedule got busier and busier, I was like, I'm going to have to get the house cleaner more because I'm not here to even do make my little dent, which is never great. But it's <laughs> better than nothing. I like to say that too. Oh, I'm going to use that. Better than nothing. Yeah. Better than nothing. Yeah. I like that. It's funny you mentioned meals. This is something I didn't even think about sharing. But um, because mealtime stresses me out so badly... And I do try to make some nutritious meals at least a few nights a week, but I don't even try to sit down at the table. And I know as a psychologist how important it is to sit down and have discussions. But in my mind, I'm like, I'm doing the best I can. This is extremely overwhelming for me. And we have this sort of island. And so the kids sit there and sometimes my husband and I literally serve them like a server at a restaurant. 
And I'm just like so relieved. It's like check when it's over. And we really don't talk. Like I honestly, it's terrible. Well, I I shouldn't say terrible, but it's like, I just want to get it over with. And it's just something to check off my list. And sometimes when I read about people sitting around the dinner table, I'm like, I just couldn't do that. But I, I do recognize that for me with my ADD, that it is a feat just to get a meal on the table. And I'm not just putting junk out there. And so I'm like, this is the best I can do. And I have to let it go. It does make me a little sad when people talk about dinner, sitting around, having a discussion and how important family meal time is. Yeah. And I wish I could, but that's just not one of my strong points. I can't do it either. But then my husband's so good. He's like, yeah, but we connect with our kids in other ways. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. you guys sometimes snuggle and talk. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, you have these conversations that and you're being so intentional about connecting with them that other families maybe aren't intentional, but they're like, OK, we're taking advantage of this one meal time, And that's when we're doing all our talking. Whereas if you don't have meal time and I don't either, then we're like looking for those moments. Yeah. Like, you try to find time when you're carpooling or just anything. Which is huge. That means yeah. you're being intentional about connecting with your kids all the time. So really don't eat with them. Just keep going. <laughs> 80%. You're doing 80, 20 the other way. 80% of the time they're getting your intentions. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, well, any like I don't know nuggets of wisdom that you think have really helped you that just off the top of your head something that someone told you or you read that helped you in some way to survive parenting or thrive with parenting a little bit more I don't know just be kind to yourself I think my husband does great at that just having someone come in and go you know, if they could really be worse off, like they could, mm-hmm. you know, they could really be yelled at, they could be neglected, we could be in a different place financially. Mm-hmm. Like, look at their lives. My kid, yeah, my husband was just like, really, they're fine. Mm-hmm. You've got this whole pinnacle of parenting, you've got to make it up to this bar, and even though you lower the bar, you still think it needs to meet the certain marks, and it's like, they're really good. Right. Like, they're fine. That's a really good point, and I think for parents that can be kind of either perfectionistic or guilt-prone, I'm not perfectionistic, but I am guilt-prone. Sometimes I beat myself up. Like, I might see another mother who's doing a bunch of crafts, and I'm like, oh, I never do crafts with my kids. And I'm like, or they're playing board games. I'm like, oh, I don't play enough board games with my kids. And I'll just start feeling so sad and guilty. And then I stop and say, you know, you just can't do it all. Like you almost have to choose what is kind of an important thing that I really am going to prioritize. And I like to have friends over for play dates a lot. I like to get groups of kids to go to the park. And I'm like, okay, that might be my A category. Maybe I get an A on having friends over and having play dates or going to the park. But on crafts, I would say I get like a D. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and you just say you cannot be an A at all of that. And so, um, yeah, another funny thing that we talked about is our kids have a school, I mean, have a thing at school called the Monday Memo, which talks about here's your assignments and here's your homework for the week. And I didn't for like three years ever look at the Monday Memo <laughs> once, but I would be selling like a hundred coupon books mm-hmm. to sell, to help the kids school raise I money. An a in that. Yeah, I got an A on that, but not the homework <laughs> aspect, which is a little backwards. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I think that maybe just a few more things before we wrap up one, you know, really trying to see your kids for who they are and really acknowledge what they're really good at. And sometimes you have to say what they're not so great at, you know, um, like you don't maybe try your hardest in school. They don't have to make really great grades. They just need to try and or they don't try in their chores, but just kind of really seeing what they're unique and, and what their special talents and personalities are. Um, and just seeing what makes them feel loved. Like a lot of people hear about the languages of love. What makes your child feel loved? Is it hugs? Is it compliments? Is it quality time? Is it acts of service, um, gifts? And, and just kind of seeing they have unique and distinctive ways that they want to feel loved. Um, yeah, and then two very commonly known, I guess, quotes are, you've probably heard this one, the best gift you can give your kids is not to shield them from disappointment, but to teach them how to live with disappointment. And I think that's a really, it's actually extremely relevant right now with COVID, how much disappointment this year, mm-hmm. how many losses. I think that's what I was trying to get at with the, the happiness question. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe giving them the tools to deal with real life versus always trying to sort of insulate. Mm -hmm. Although I do get tired of the whole helicopter parent thing Mm -hmm. because I do feel like, I think there really is something to that. And I think it's not good to be a helicopter parent and just shield your kids from every bump in the road. um, Cause we just need them to learn how to drive on bumpy roads. Right. But, Mm -hmm. but, um, but still I think, I think it's okay to be a parent that really cares mm-hmm. <laughs> and that really pursues their mm-hmm. kids and doesn't shield them and doesn't run in ahead of them and fight their battles, but but is very aware and, like you said, sees them, mm-hmm. notices them, studies them as a person, mm-hmm. questions oh, I love that. them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I love that word studies them. Oh my goodness. I love that so much. Well, there's a verse that I was looking at in the Bible uh-huh. and it's from Exodus and it's when the Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. And it's, uh, there's this one verse and it says, God uh, heard their groaning. And I was thinking about what is it to hear the groaning of another? Wow. And like, what, it, what would it be like for me to really hear the groaning of my children and sometimes people groan in ways that are inaudible Mm -hmm. and so it takes Mm. study you know it takes like really questions and and time sometimes it takes like a walk or a hike or it takes maybe years (laughs) Mm. but um to to hear the groaning of another and to study them and to really see them That's profound. It's something that's that awesome. Somehow <laughs> valuable, I think. Oh, totally. I mean, you've just touched on so many huge, huge, profound well, points. And what what's the rest of that? He sees, he see, he he hears the groaning. You'll help me. It's Exodus two. I can look it up. Wait. 
Oh, he hears it's he hears the groaning, remembers his covenant, and sees them. Ooh. He it says he sees them, and then of course the rest of the account is that he moves towards his people. But um, wow. it's really beautiful, and to think of pursuing our children in that way. Wow, is a life work. I mean, mm. yeah, and. You know, just the idea that people show what they're going through sometimes without talking about it. Mm. And so I love that inaudible aspect of that verse. Just, you know, sometimes they can't explain it or they won't share it or they won't be that vulnerable. Mm. And you have to know your kids and study them. Mm. And they're all unique. I mean, you know, sometimes people are a little bit dramatic. I have a child that's like that. I mean, she'll kind of overstate and exaggerate her responses to things. And then I have at least one child who will kind of understate what he's feeling. And I have a lot of clients like that. Like I'm, they might say, I'm having a bit of a hard time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, multiply that times five Mm -hmm. because I know this person. And then there might be someone that comes in here, I have the worst day of my whole entire life today. I'm like, okay, divide that by three. (laughs) And, you know, you just have to know, like, their presentation and their uniqueness and how they tick. Mm -hmm. And And they're so different. Like, Mm -hmm. I have three daughters, and I think, you know, maybe sometimes when people go in for that ultrasound and they're like, another another of the same gender you think oh they're just gonna all be the same but they're so completely different Mm -hmm. they're completely different and Mm -hmm. it just they have different personalities different giftedness different energies different completely different they and it takes some study Mm, exactly yeah a lot of observation And one of the reasons I love that word is because I think that some parents with the best of intentions can sort of either live vicariously through their kids Mm -hmm. or try to get their kids to be like them and compare their kids. I had a teenager recently who was saying something like, my mother would tell me, well, when I was your kid, I mean, your age, I tried my hardest and everything. And I did this and I made these grades. And she was always kind of saying, step it up. Like when I was your age, Mm -hmm. I had it harder and I tried harder and I did better. And, you know, they might be trying to just coach and, you know, encourage their child to improve their performance. But I think that can be so damaging because they just think I'm a disappointment. I'm not living up to what she wanted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, there's a place and time to say things like, you know, I had to do these chores when I was your age. And, you know, there can be comparisons that are okay, but when you're kind of saying you're not good enough in some way or you're a disappointment, that message comes through loud and clear. And I had another teenager in my office recently who just said, I'll never be good enough to my father. Like, I could never, ever please him. And he always saw the fault. And she's now, like, dates guys that never think she's good enough and she's trying to kind of recreate that past and prove that she's good enough to in her dating relationships Mm. so seeing people for actually who they really are as separate individuals and unique individuals and not little mini us's um but i do think we just need to have so much 
compassion and grace for others and also compassion and grace for ourselves. Like we are going to mess our kids up. This was on my list. We are going to mess up and we're going to, we're going to, our kids are going to have some damage from some of the things we've done. It's inevitable. (laughs) And, you know, everyone has different stories and, you know, some people really do. They have it harder than others. I mean, there are single parents out there who have no help, who have to work like three jobs and, You know, I cannot even imagine them even thinking about helping their child with homework. You know, how would you do that? Mm. I struggle to do it with one job, you know. So um, one of my friends, I remember this um, when my kids were little, I was like telling her some story about how I messed up with something, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can't believe this. You know, it's probably going to scar her forever. (laughs) And my friend said, look you're going to mess them up, right? She goes, you're going to love them as much as you can, but inevitably you're going to mess them up. And as long as they can pay for their own counseling when they're adults, <laughs> you, it's a success. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, and that's sure. part of the beauty of life too, is you learn from people at any age. I mean, some of the wisdom of some of the kids that come through my doors, it just like blows me away. Mm. I mean, I've had some kids with really hard lives and they'll say, yeah, it's been really, really hard. It's childhood has been very hard. I don't think I had a childhood, but they'll say, I don't think I would take it back if I could though, because it's made me a really strong person. Mm. And I'm just like, where are they getting this maturity and this wisdom? Like, they blow me away all the time, you know? And I think that if we can just tell our kids, I mean, one of the titles I considered for my podcast was like struggling through mm-hmm. and getting through. Like, you know, one reason I like working with teenagers and one reason they probably like working with me is I'm like, I don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and I'm not perfect and I struggle all the time. And and I if they inspire me, I tell them, you know. And so many people this year with all the political stuff, I have never heard in as many sessions people talking about they're fighting with their parents over politics and they're having, you know, huge fights and family feuds at Thanksgiving over politics. And, you know, one thing that makes me sad is that some of the, a lot of these are teenage girls and I'm sitting there so impressed because I hate it when these beautiful girls just rely on their appearance and they think their worth is in their beauty or being popular and that's it. And they sell themselves short because they're so smart and so funny and they have so much depth. So I'll have these girls in here that are just talking about all these deep thoughts and their convictions and their passion about Black Lives Matter and just politics and where they come from on all that. And they'll have like a parent saying, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. And why are you always trying to start arguments? And I'm just like blown away because I'm thinking even if their parents don't agree with them, Mm -hmm. they could first validate and say, I see you. And I'm so impressed that you're a 15 year old that's having an intellectual discussion and that you're watching the news and you're engaging with it and you care about it. And you're not just like, oh, I'm just a pretty face. That's all I am. And like, there's so much good they could be commenting on, but they just don't like what their child, you know, is, is saying and believing. And so they stifle that. And then their kid doesn't want to talk to them anymore. And it's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm like, how much good could you have done? And you could have still said, I don't agree, but that doesn't need to be the first thing you say. Mm, Right. You know, I don't agree, but I respect you for really thinking about this stuff and caring about the news. I mean, that is so impressive to me. I don't agree with a lot of what my 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 own kids or, or teenagers say to me, and I'm like, I don't really care if I agree with them. I'm just happy they're sharing their thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so just like you said, like having a study of like, ooh, who is this person? Who is this child that I have? And what do they think? And how are they unique? Mm-hmm. And I love to hear what you think. And I, I don't have to agree with it, but I'm proud of you for having thoughts and talking. Mm-hmm. You're talking to me instead of being on electronics. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You could point out so many positives before you say, I don't agree. That's a stupid opinion. I mean, that's what some of these parents do. So anyway, but um, it is, it's all about balance. And I really think that even though we all make a lot of mistakes and we have a lot of shortcomings, if we can just be authentic and real and, you know, model that for our kids and say, I'm sorry, I mess up. I have weak points. This is my weak points. You know, we all just kind of learn together and they feel respected and heard and seen. And um, it just gives them a really healthy kind of paradigm for going through life. So, well, any last comments before we wrap up? Any itching? I think it's just worth saying that to me, parenting has been the greatest blessing and adventure. It's been the hardest thing I've Mm -hmm. ever ventured upon, but it's also been the best. Mm. And I think in this stage, it doesn't always feel the best, Mm -hmm. but it is just to have the depth of relationship and people are so such a gift to have Mm -hmm. human beings in your home that you get to know and love and Mm -hmm. it's just such a delight yeah that's so true it's like an amazing exploration Mm -hmm. of you know very complex individuals who have your genetics and yours and your husband's or you know genetics and like wow watch them unfold and just be kind of their own separate, unique person that has little resemblances to you, but like has their own experiences and just watch it unfold and say, wow, this is, this is great. And let's just see what happens. And it's neat. Well, thank you both so much for spending your time to do this. It was really neat. It was fun. Thanks, Beth. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. Thank you.